Hello everyone and welcome to Scream Scene, the horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order and then we rank them from best to worst. My name is Sarah. And I'm Ben. Thank you so much for listening to us today. Ben, how are you doing? Um... (laughs) So I've had a very busy month. February is a very busy month at my day job. So I was working very hard and... I'm crashing, basically, after that month. I'm feeling very depressed, and I'm just kind of going through some stuff. My brain keeps saying, you're a bad person, and people would be right if they didn't want to have anything to do with you. And it's a struggle. We have started calling this brain, um, originally it was bad brain, but now it is Brad brain. So yeah. Brad is a dick. Yeah. Sorry for all of the other non-dick Brads out there, but this particular Brad is a big dick. So I'm having a hard time. Things are getting better. I think I'm feeling like I'm getting better every day kind of thing. I think my my low point was like Thursday, Friday. And um, we had dinner with my parents today. They got back from a vacation it's nice to see them. It was a nice dinner, so that that felt nice. But uh, yeah, I'm just kind of like low key struggling here. Sarah, how are you? Last week was a week for me. Mm. I won't go into it, but it was a week. So you know, it can only go up from here. <laughs> so we're like neither of us are really doing our best. No, but I think. Tonight's movie will possibly turn that around because it sounds wild enough to make it just like super fun to watch. Hopefully, hopefully, yeah. Why don't you tell us what we're watching tonight? So tonight we are watching El Hombre y el Monstruo from 1959, directed by Rafael Baladon. And this is a Mexican horror film. We are back in Mexico, and this is another Abel Salazar production uh this is the guy who brought us el vampiro mm-hmm. which is currently ranked number 57 out yeah of, it was a good showing yeah out of 261 uh, that was in episode 222 uh he also produced its sequel el ataud del vampiro which we ranked 58 right one step below in episode 245 and he also produced mysterios de ultra tumba from uh episode 262 which is ranked 75 so like all pretty good movies yeah all in the top 100 abel salazar produces and stars in these movies he also produces and stars in this picture and i've really enjoyed these movies from him um i also really enjoy the kind of like persona that he has in these movies where he's kind of like means well and is heroic but is kind of dumb. It's nice that he shows him being dumb. Right. Right. Like in, especially when you think about the Hollywood studio of this time, like actors were their characters. And if that person's supposed to be a leading guy, 
there's no way he's allowed to be dumb. Yeah. So like, and it's not that his characters are stupid because his characters are often like doctors or surgeons or detectives or something, but they're just kind of like, they're just kind of dumb. They're, they're like, (laughs) they're like a Dr. Himbo. Yeah. Yeah. And I just really enjoy his persona. Um, he gives himself these leading man kind of romantic lead roles. Um, but he lets the really juicy roles, which are like the monster, right? Like the, the vampire or the bad guy go to other actors. Um, yeah, I've really enjoyed these movies from him so far. So I'm looking forward to this one His co-stars this time around are Enrique Rambal, Martha Roth and Ophelia Gilmaine. Gilmaine was a Spanish actress who fled her country with the rise of Francisco Franco's dictatorship mm-hmm. and came to Mexico, got her citizenship, and became an actress with a career spanning to her death in 2005. Um, she had two kids who became actors, and I think they have grandkids who are actors. Oh, wow. So she's kind of like the Red Graves. Right. Yeah, or the <laughs> Barry Moores or something like that. Yeah. Um, in the director's chair for El Hombre y el Monstruo is Rafael Baladon, who was born in Mexico in 1919. And he initially wanted to become a doctor, but he could not afford the education. So instead, he became an extra and then just sort of gradually worked his way up the ranks to his first starring role in 1942. Uh, His acting career continued until his death in 1994. Wow. But beginning in 1953, he also branched into writing and directing, which he would also continue with throughout his career. And um, yeah, that's that's kind of about all I have to say about the making of this movie. Okay. Um, It is about a pianist who made a deal with the devil to become the greatest pianist. And if he plays a specific song, he turns into a monster. And the question we've been asking ourselves in the lead up to watching this is, why play the song then? My theory is it's his like big hit. And Mm. so everyone's requesting it. Got it. It's like Gautier and that one song that he hates to play now. Mm. Uh, So how are we watching this, Ben? Well, um, El Hombre y el Monstruo was released in Mexico on October 8th, 1959, very successful in its home country and abroad. Um, The movie became yet another notch on Abel Salazar's horror cinema belt, so we will continue to see horror from Mexico from Abel Salazar. The movie also received a well-regarded English dub later in 1959. Um, Like Critics remarked that the dub must have hired in addition to a translator also a screenwriter because it was like uncommonly well done oh sweet um it was released in the united states as the man and the monster which is just the direct translation yeah of the title um and el hombre y el monstruo is available on youtube uh from the i think it's from the mexican cinematheque the like cinematographica del mexico or something i don't remember the exact name um, it is going to be an auto Google translated subtitle experience for us, unfortunately, but we've had worse. We've had much worse. I have high hopes for this movie and for the Google auto translated subtitles 
because Spanish is a lot easier for Google Auto Translate than like Mandarin or Cantonese. Or Russian, for that matter. Oh, yeah. It has a real hard time with Russian. Yeah. Well, folks, if you want to watch along, you can find a copy of this on the Scream Scene YouTube playlist, uh, which you can find on our website, ScreamScenePodcast.com. You're going to hear a brief musical interlude, and when we come back, we will discuss El Hombre y el Monstro from 1959, directed by Raphael Bellandon. See you on the other side, everybody. Welcome back, everybody. We just finished watching El Hombre y el Monstro from 1959, directed by Rafael Baladon. Sarah, what did you think? I really liked this. Uh, Google Translate had a little bit of trouble uh, with the auto-translated subtitles. Um, I suspect it's because of the audio quality a bit. Uh, It seemed to have trouble determining when someone was speaking and then what that person was saying because there's like a lot of music going on. What was interesting, like I think it did a pretty good job compared to other times. Yeah. Like honestly, um, much better than other times, but um, it felt like the more people were talking, the better it did. If someone was doing dialogue where they had a lot of like pauses, like dramatic pauses in their sentence, it had a really hard time. But if you were just like speaking at a regular pace, it could figure it out. And so I wonder if that's just like because of trying to figure out the grammar of how words relate to other words in the sentence. That's fair because it is a direct translation, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. uh, when someone says go, meaning, hey, let's go look at the body. uh, It translates as just go. Yeah. And so without the context, you're like, go where, (laughs) you know? But yeah, it wasn't the worst we've seen. Um, What did you think of the movie? I liked it. Um, It continues kind of this uh, high quality trend of these Mexican horror movies that are kind of like mashups of older horror concepts. Yeah, I think you can see how this movie is looking backwards, but you can also see maybe how it's looking forwards. Interesting. Uh, Yeah, for me, this was very much like, what if Faust, but also Phantom of the Opera, Yes. but also like Jekyll and Hyde. Yes, but also, what if Psycho? That's a stretch. I'll be interested to hear what you have to say in that regard. Well, yeah, I'll get to it in the discussion. I will say it's not like, without this movie, Psycho wouldn't have been made. And I have no idea whether Hitchcock would have seen this movie. Uh, But I just think it's interesting how it's looking forward in similar ways. Mm. But how about I tell the folks at home what this movie was about? Yeah, absolutely. So we open with a female motorist getting into a car accident outside of a villa. Um, she goes inside for help and sees some like keys on the ground and then some guy being like the key the key open the door the key it's like yeah a very normal situation of walking into someone's house 
uh, and seeing that someone's calling for you to unlock the door in a very creepy voice makes total sense for you to then unlock the door. Anyway, she gets attacked and killed. (laughs) Um, (laughs) There's another motorist passing by. His name is Ricardo. He sees the woman um, kind of passed out by her car with like a big uh, scratch across her face. Um, And so he tries to get help. He first goes to the villa and uh, this strange old woman answers the door and like refuses any kind of help. But luckily he manages to call down like an ambulance and police officer, but it's too late. The woman is dead. Now we see Ricardo arrive in town. It turns out he is looking for the renowned pianist Samuel, who retired here. Now the people in town are like, well, I don't know anyone by that specific name, but there is a recluse up in this villa that you happen to pass by where that car accident was. But I think only a witch lives there. <laughs> um, meanwhile, Samuel uh, is at the villa. Uh, we see that he is indeed a uh, renowned pianist and he is teaching his protege, Laura, and his mom, Cornelia, is here as well, kind of looking after them. Cornelia is the old lady who turned Ricardo away. And then Ricardo arrives being like, yeah, I'm looking for Samuel. Hey, there's Samuel. Nice to see you. Uh, turns out Ricardo is organizing the concert that is being put on where Samuel is supposed to be playing. But Samuel says, well, no, I don't play anymore. Instead, my protege Laura will be making her international debut and then Cornelia shows up and says, Ricardo, you need to leave. Yeah. This is like, get out. And Ricardo's like, well, I understand you want me to leave, but like, I'm planning this event and I don't know any details. I don't know what you're playing. I don't know like what instruments you need in the orchestra. Like, I need to know something. And they send him away. Yeah. And it's like, this is the worst nightmare of any event organizer. <laughs> While Ricardo is in town, Laura shows up. And she's kind of like, yeah, I don't know why they were being so rude to you. I also don't know why Samuel says he doesn't play because like, like he's teaching me as his protege, but I also hear him playing all the time at night. Now, Ricardo thinks this is odd. And as a a go-getter event organizer, he decides to sneak into the villa (laughs) to try to find out some details about what he's supposed to be organizing. Great plan. Because he comes across, uh, in a closet, a dead woman who he does not recognize. And she's holding this strange-looking sheet music that's, like, black, but then the notes are in white. Yeah. Like, it it looks really cool. It looks like a blueprint is the thing. And so he's like, oh, sheet music, and takes it. (laughs) (laughs) From the dead body. From the dead body. And he heads back to town. Now, Cornelia sees that Ricardo has, like, done this. So she brings Samuel into this room, kind of explains, like, Ricardo has the music. Samuel, as soon as he sees the piano, he's, like, feeling a compulsion to play. And he's, like, trying to fight against it. Cornelia is, like, pushing him to play the piano. Mm -hmm. As he begins to play, he transforms into this, like, monstrous form. And as he does this, we see kind of the backstory. Now, a few years ago, let's say like seven-ish years ago, he was kind of second best in the world. 
uh, his rival uh, was Alejandra, uh, who was the number one in the world. You know, okay, so Faust, Phantom of the Opera, Jekyll and Hyde, also Amadeus. Also Amadeus, absolutely. Um, Now, Alejandra, uh, I feel like it's important to note, is played by the same actress who plays Laura. But anyway, so Alejandra, she is like playing the piano at, as part of this performance and she's just crushing it. And the sheet music she's reading is the sheet music we saw her corpse holding. And she starts to tell Samuel how like, yeah, this music just kind of like showed up one day. And also it has like no title and no composer, but like it's great music, isn't it? Like the audience seems to really love it. Samuel is filled with jealousy and rage and ends up killing her, taking her body back to this villa, um, stealing her her sheet music and then playing it. And just to kind of like prove like, I'm better than you because like, look how good I can play this music. And as he plays, he begins to turn into that monster. So he's like cursed. Now in this flashback, uh, Cornelia hears the music playing and goes like, Samuel, are you home? Like, what's going on? Sees that he's a monster and is able to like calm him down, probably because she's like his mother. And they realize he has this curse. So it was really hard to like figure out some of the specifics of like the rules of like this curse because of the subtitling issues a lot of other stuff was really easier to follow because you can kind of infer from context and stuff what i'll say is the impression i was under watching this flashback was that he asked something like he pled something or someone according to online synopses the devil but i didn't really hear that but he definitely gave like a plea to, you know, someone, someone out there listening to me to like help him overtake Alejandra as the top pianist. And so there is this kind of implication of some kind of like satanic bargain that he made. And I sort of had a thought of like, the music is the devil's music. And like Satan gave Alejandra the music So she would play it and he would hear it and he would come to her and kill her and take the music and become the greatest pianist and then be cursed by the music. That was kind of my interpretation, but that is a loose interpretation based on what I could kind of piece together on my own. So grain of salt. Yeah, I think that fits, except for the fact that it can't be the devil's music. There's no fiddle, Ben. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, good point. But that's as good of an explanation as any. So we're back to the present and Samuel has transformed and he's going to go get that sheet music back. Uh, Hence why Cornelia was like, hey, transform. Uh, So he he does so by going into the hotel. He kills the wrong person thinking it's Ricardo and manages to steal the music back. But like everyone in the hotel saw that there's this monster around. Uh, So the cops show up after... Samuel has escaped and Ricardo's like, yeah, clearly there's a madman on the loose. Maybe that's why like that motorist died. By the way, I found a body. Maybe we should go check that out. While that's all happening, Samuel makes it back to the villa. Uh, And monster Samuel doesn't really feel like 
not being a monster anymore because he remembers, don't I have that protege who's like going to be the number one in the world? Well, that can't be right. I'm the number one pianist. So I'm going to go kill Laura because like they can only be one. This is also how it's looking forward. Highlander. Mm. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, so he goes and he goes to attack Laura, uh, chases her around the villa. She's clearly fucking traumatized. Cornelia hears the screaming, manages to talk Samuel down. He goes off. She's like, hey, pack. We're leaving tonight for the big event tomorrow. And she gets to Laura, talks her down and says, don't worry. I don't know what that was, but we're leaving town. Don't worry. By the time Ricardo comes back with the cops to the villa, they've left and the body is gone. So Ricardo looks like a, a dope to the cops. Typical horror movie. Yeah, just very typical. So it's the night of the big event. And Samuel's whole plan is that with this new number one pianist, he'll stop transforming. The curse will be lifted. And to kind of ensure that, he goes to burn the score, like the sheet music. And as he's doing this, he hears like music in the distance. And it's like clearly this person who's like practicing the piano, but isn't very good. Um, they're playing a, a theme from Tchaikovsky. Yeah, it's um, from the Romeo and Juliet uh, piece by him. Um, if you've watched any Saturday morning cartoons, particularly Looney Tunes, you will know this as the music that plays when two people run across a field into each other's arms in slow motion romantically. So Samuel like puts the sheet music down. It's lit on fire, but the fire goes out as soon as he, his back is turned. And he goes and he finds this little girl practicing. This little girl happens to be the director's daughter. Oh, that's a fun piece of trivia. Yeah. Um, and yeah, she's like trying and he's like, here, let me teach you. Like, I'm a good pianist. Let me help you. And she's like, okay, cool. Now you play. And he's like, no, I don't play. And she's like, yeah, right. He ends up playing. And so he's playing Tchaikovsky. And then eventually... It turns into the theme of monster, the yeah. monster mash theme. Right. And he transforms and it's implied he kills that little girl. But of course he goes beelining to Laura because there can only be one. Luckily, Ricardo comes in in time to like beat him up. Um, some other like patrons at this theater come in and like help get, you know, them separated. The monster runs off and escapes uh and then suddenly samuel appears <laughs> and he's like oh what's going on <laughs> now ricardo sees the half burned sheet of music and he puts two and two together which sidebar is impressive is wild yeah is this impressive. is not an easy like two and two to put together you know um five and five huh. um well I think the music was in four, four signatures. So he puts four and four together. Okay. Um, and before Laura goes on to perform, he's like, Laura, do you recognize this music? And she's like, yeah, this is the music that uh, Samuel plays at night. And he's like, Samuel's the monster. And this music, you know, I think they have something horrible planned for you. Um, you need to like play this music during the performance. So he'll get caught. And she's like, I don't know, that's like really scary and a lot. But eventually she um, goes through with it. And during the performance, she puts in a bit of the theme. Samuel turns and then is like, 
Laura, you're number one. I have to kill you. So he goes to attack her. Uh, there's some back and forth fighting. And then suddenly a cop shoots him. Yeah, like a dog. Yeah, much to the dismay and despair of Cornelia, who, um, as the film ends, is like crying over Samuel's body. He transforms back to, into Samuel in death. Uh, and we also see Ricardo burning the sheet music. And that's the end. Yeah, so there are some elements of the plot that were a little obscure because of the fact that we don't speak Spanish. Um, so those aren't really things that are against the movie. That's that's our fault. But I do recommend people see this movie. It's so good. listener, if you speak Spanish and like understand it, watch this movie. Let us know how close we were with the way the curse gets lifted and all that. Yeah, because the thing that I don't understand that would have been helpful is like, does he turn into a monster when he plays anything on the piano? Is it just when it's the cursed song? Why does he have a compulsion to play the cursed song? Um, does playing the cursed song transfer the curse? Because they're talking about how, oh, once Laura's played tonight, the curse will be over. And I'm like, why? Um, so he says something along the lines of like, I'll have given back what I took. Right. And that's a bit of the tragedy here as well, because nothing bad was going to happen to Laura. She was going to become number one. Yes. And then theoretically that would lift the curse because he's no longer having to fight to be number one. Mm -hmm. Right. The other thing is like, it's a little out of nowhere at the end because we've seen that playing the music is what transforms him. And then we find out at the end that like just hearing it is enough as well. And that felt a little bit out of nowhere. Also, how did Ricardo figure all that out? Just from like, that's a lot to figure out. Well, here's the thing. He knows that whoever knows about the sheet music knows about the dead body. Right. He knows that the monster took the sheet music. Mm-hmm. Then the sheet music was around when Samuel was around. Yeah. That's how he puts four and four together, right. as it were. And then the other part of the movie's plot that's a little obscure to the point where I like I think Sarah purposely avoided mentioning it because it was unclear what was going on here is um, so as Sarah mentioned, uh, Alejandra and Laura are played by the same actress. Samuel has a portrait of Alejandra in his like piano room. Laura doesn't know who that is. And she even like at one point talking to Ricardo was like, yeah, I don't know why he took me as his protege. Like, is it because I resemble the woman in the painting? And then he's got Alejandra's like mummified body in a closet uh, near that room. Ricardo, because he's like a concert organizer, like he doesn't recognize the body or the painting at first, but there is a scene when he's there with the cops where he finally like looks at the painting. He's like, oh shit, that's the super famous pianist Alejandra who went missing seven years ago or whatever, and kind of puts all of that part together. But it remains unclear what, if any, relationship there is supposed to be between Lara and Alejandra and like... Based on what I saw in that movie and what I was able to glean from the auto-translated subtitles, it's just like a gothic horror thing where the heroine is a dead ringer for the mystery woman in the portrait, but there isn't like meant to be an implied family relationship or, or anything more complex than that. 
But yeah. it was something that had me going like, is there something I'm really missing here? <laughs> like, is she his daughter with Alejandra? Oh my God. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I was just waiting for that to make sense and it never sure. quite got there. I, uh, I'm more willing to just jump and go with the gothic yeah, explanation. It, it's just and a gothic so I didn't have trope. any of this like confusion. I was just like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I really like this movie. Um, mm-hmm. Did you like, okay. To me, it seemed like the choreography for the fights has gone a level up from the past fights we've seen from the, this production. Yes. Crew. I think what we see in this film particularly is some wrestling influence. Yeah. Like there's a lot of like picking people up and slamming them down kind of going on. So I suspect they got some wrestlers to do the fight scenes um, for the like long shots. But yeah, I was really happy that the version on YouTube, because it's like from like an official organization in Mexico, I guess, um, while it doesn't have subtitles, the video quality is like top notch. uh, So it looks really good. Yeah, I would agree. You can really see the very cool lighting choices mm-hmm. and this movie really likes an active camera yes and active in its zooms which i am just a sucker for there's and like a lot of editing like quick editing it keeps the pace up and keeps like the excitement up yeah the villa that they're in is like the same villa from mysterios de ultratumba and il vampiro so we're we're pretty familiar with it from this point, but this director finds like new ways of shooting mm. it, new angles to shoot it in. Um, like at one point to sneak in, mm-hmm. Ricardo climbs the wood doors and it's like, no one's climbed these doors before, but it, this feels like a really like, that makes sense to do. Yeah. The, Even it, though like, those doors have a top, they, like, they, like they do have a top. Right. In terms of like, does it make sense to do this? Looking at the set no, yeah. but the way that it's being framed by the camera, we don't see the top of the doors. Mm-hmm. So we don't know what's up there. Right. So it was just like a really interesting example of the way that this director was like, how can we use these that hasn't been done before? Yeah, Balladon, I think, is a really excellent director here. I think the cinematography is great. We've got a lot of very good high-key lighting with those dark shadows we've got a lot of good camera movement i agree with you about the editing i was particularly impressed with the editing during the concert sequence which is like building up tension as we see that she's working the music in and we're cutting from like the audience to her to him wide shot different wide shot and we're cutting on the beat so that was really well done also um we have a lot of dramatic angles like we've got our dutch angles and and all kinds of things and something that was very impressive to me, um, kind of a Wellsian touch, is this director knows how to do depth in his framing. Yeah. So, like, there's a really great shot where we are, like, looking over the shoulder of the dead body of Alejandra as in the midground, Samuel is, like, on his knees returning the sheet music to her and being all blubbery because when he's not the monster, he super regrets everything he does. And then in the background uh there's cornelia standing by the piano being like you have to transform or whatever and just like seeing someone using depth like that it was like oh cool like yeah this guy fucking knows what he's doing 
Yeah, speaking of Cornelia, I really like the idea of her being considered like a witch Mm. by the town just because she's a cat lady. Yeah, just because she's an old woman who's really unpleasant and has a black cat. Well, she has a black cat. And then also in the flashback when she's like, oh, Sam, well, are you home? Right. She's cross-stitching some cats. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah. Of course you noticed that. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I just, I do like the idea of the townspeople being like, oh, she's a witch. There's no actual textual sign she's a witch. But I wanted to like speak to the psycho connection to me because the idea of like a mummified body that that is like kept in the closet and the way it was shot and the way we like kept seeing it. Okay. I don't know. It was just like, wow, this movie's like really wanting to show us like the physical spark of why this person is like insane a little Mm. bit. There was the mother connection sure, um, of like his mom being the only person who can talk Samuel down. I do think that part of that comes more from like the Mexican culture, which like very highly honors like motherhood. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But I think it's also a breath of fresh air seeing how down to earth the psychology was in the sense of like, a mentor's jealousy. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, he has jealousy with this rival, but then having his jealousy of his protege mm-hmm. is really interesting to me. Um, and so having like that psychology element to it and the movie that like Psycho, particularly um, with all of these mother themes in my head, um, that movie also really ties into and taps into psychology. Yeah. So that's where I'm going. And I think that it's more the psychology angle that it's kind of looking forward rather than like mother or looking at dead bodies. It just seemed like, huh, like psychos coming up and this movie feels very forward thinking with that context Mm. that the people making this movie would not have at all. I also really like the psychology around Cornelia and her relationship with Samuel because it's very like stop your crying and do what needs to be done. And like, she wants to see him up there on the stage succeeding. Like that's super important to her. Very kind of like, you know, backstage mom <laughs> I, I vibes, I guess. Yeah. Like again, the, the subtitles might've been weird about this, but it seemed to be that Cornelia wanted to be a good pianist and she just couldn't do it. So she pushed Samuel to do it. Mm. And that was what kind of made his breaking point of like, I'll only ever be number two. Right. Uh, be such like a huge thing. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know if I textually picked that up, but it's also like a pretty common attribute of that like archetypal backstage mother figure. Yeah. I think that... Um, Ophelia Gilman, who played Cornelia, did a really good job. I think Enrique Rambal, who plays Samuel, also did a really good job. You really see sort of the two sides of him, the the ambition, but also the regret of what he does. And it was interesting the way that like this movie, so when he turns into a monster, it's very 1932 Jekyll and Hyde in the sense that he turns into like a hairy dude with like fangs and stuff. He turns into like an animalistic kind of beast. And it was interesting to see like ambition and jealousy framed as animalistic impulses 
you know, that are, that are our baser nature. I think that's less obvious than mm-hmm. like talking about like hunger or violence or rage Lust. or sex or something. Yeah. yeah. To talk about like ambition and jealousy being part of the baser nature of man. Like that's really different. I also thought that Martha Roth was very good in her dual Laura Alejandra role. She does a really good scary face and a really good scream. Yeah, she's a really good screamer. And she's got that kind of haunting face that you want in a gothic heroine who also happens to look exactly like the mysterious woman in the portrait. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I think all of the actors did a fantastic job. Um, Abel Salazar uh, is maybe like, I'll say the weakest of them, but not because he's like bad it's just everyone else is like really doing amazing well and he's the straight man right there's nothing more to him than i'm the guy who's here to solve the mystery like he is doing the same thing that he did in you know el vampiro or el atao del vampiro or mysterios de ultratumba like he's just affable as always um affabella bell right exactly yeah i i enjoyed this movie Mm -hmm. would you like to move on to ranking yeah let's do that so I've sort of got kind of a spot picked out. Okay. Um, that would be helpful because I got a little lost. Oh. So to recap the past three movies from this production team and producer, from lowest to highest on the list, we have Mysterious de Ultra Tumba at 75. We have Elitad del Vampiro at 58. And then El Vampiro at 57. Because we kind of called out the Phantom of the Opera angle that, uh, at least the original, like 1929, is at number 49. And I was just like, oh my god, this movie's like really good. So definitely going above Ultra Tumba. When I got to the 50s, you know, below El Vampiro, there's like House of Wax, How to Make a Monster, Frankenstein 1970, like good movies but i think this goes like a step above with like being grounded in that psychology um it's not just oh no a monster yeah that's what i'll say (laughs) looking above we have some really big hitters like the screaming skull white reindeer and as i looked up i was like i don't know if i can go above creature from the black lagoon at 41 but I don't quite know where to go from here because that gives basically a range of like 41 down to 58. Sure. So I'm lower than you are. Okay. Um, I wasn't as enthralled with the psychology as you were. I think it's a strong element of the movie, but I also think it's been a strong element of a lot of Mexican horror going all the way back to like Dos Monjes and um, The Man Without a Face and stuff. Like, I think they've always been really strong on that angle. And so I don't particularly think, while, you know, while I think the psychology here is very apt, I don't necessarily think it's special. So I started looking uh, down at Mysterios de Ultratumba at 75. I liked this better than that, um, primarily because I felt the through line in this movie was clearer Whereas Ultratumba has like this whole thing about these two doctors and one of them died on purpose so he could tell the other one what the afterlife was like. And then the guy's immortal for like, it just, it's, it gets lost in the weeds for me. So I looked up from there and honestly, I like 
I went one at a time and I was like, oh, this is better than Horrors of the Black Museum because Horrors of the Black Museum was kind of a letdown. This is better than The Tingler, uh, which you found to be a bit of a letdown. And then I got to Curse of the Undead, which is the cowboy vampire movie. And I was like, I don't know. Because as much as I think this movie does a really good job remixing and mashing up its various story elements, at the end of the day, it is a lot of story elements that we have seen before, just assembled in this particular way and in a very well-done package. Whereas like Vampire Cowboy, now that was a fresh and new, exciting idea. And right above Curse of the Undead, we have stuff like The Abominable Snowman and Dementia that's very strong. We um, we even have El Hombre Sin Vostro. Right. So I thought that this should go at 73 below Curse of the Undead above The Tingler. Yeah, when I was going through, I also saw Curse of the Undead, and I was like, oh, that movie's so good. <laughs> I I wonder if, no, I'm sure it's just a good movie, but I was going to say, I wonder if it's the fact that, like, Calgary is a cowboy town mm. that we're just like, oh, fuck yeah, westerns. No, yeah, I, I don't think so. <laughs> Um, cause I'm not like an automatic like Western guy. I like a lot of Westerns, yeah. but I like a lot of movies in any genre. Um, but I'm not like a Western guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. So, um, with that acknowledgement of potential bias mm. as Calgarians, let's say yes at this spot. Okay. You're comfortable with this? Yeah. All right. So entering the list at the new number 73 is El Hombre y el Monstruo. From 1959, directed by Raphael Baladon. If you would like to see this list, you can head to our website, ScreamScenePodcast.com. There you can find links to the many episodes that we have mentioned today, as well as our appeals box. If you would like to contest this or any other ranking, you can drop us a line through our Ask box on Tumblr. You can reach out over email at ScreamScenePodcast at gmail.com or over Twitter or other social media at ScreamScene. Scream Scene updates every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can subscribe to the show using our RSS feed. That seems to be how most people listen to the show. If you listen to the show on a platform that allows you to rank or review a podcast, leave us a rating or a review. We really appreciate feedback from you guys. Um, it's great to see those five-star reviews come rolling in. If you'd like to support the show in a fiduciary manner, uh, we also enjoy money. And so you can head to patreon.com slash podcast, where you can become a patron of the night for as little as a dollar a month. Those $1 patrons, they're going to get thanked on the show. But there's also a $5 rank. And if you're a $5 patron, you're going to get thanked on the show. And you're going to get access to regular bonus audio, often stuff that has been cut from previous episodes, whether that is jokes that didn't land or goofs or bits of trivia that maybe didn't turn out to be relevant, but it's all fun, good stuff. But wait, there's more. At the $10 level, you're going to get thanked on the show. You're going to get that bonus audio and you're going to get bonus writing. Um, We've done short stories. We've done movie reviews. We've done uh, essays and retrospectives. There's always something interesting. And of course, You're going to be able to access the whole backlog of everything we've been doing since we started the Patreon. But wait, there's more. Any patron at any level gets to vote 
in our monthly polls to determine what our horror-adjacent bonus episode will be that month. March's is them. So head on over to patreon.com slash Podcast if you want to have a say in what April's will be. So what are we watching next week, Ben? Next week, Sarah, we are bouncing back to the U.S. of A., for a Roger Corman film. Uh, we actually haven't seen something from Roger Corman in quite some time. Oh. Uh, it is a sort of milestone in his career in that it is a satirical horror film with a lot of like, let's make this funny on purpose for like the irony sort of thing going on. Oh, no. Um, and this is Dick Miller starring in the kind of beatnik send up A Bucket of Blood. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. See you then, Creatures of the Night. Call me Carrie, because I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) Bye. Bye. (laughs) 